everybody. Perfect. Thank you. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's Transatlantic Rebels podcast. Originally, we were going to do it all about one album by the following band, uh, which was Appetite for Destruction. However, Rashad wisely intervened and said, no, I think we should do it on Guns N' Roses in general. There you go. It's Guns N' Roses. So there's a lot to cover. Now, I myself, I'm not a newbie to them or anything like that, um, but I've always had a kind of I guess, more passing interest in them. Rashad loves Axl Rose. I think he's even got Axl Rose tattooed on his leg or something like that. <laughs> Don't quote me. But um, so I tell you what, how did you get into Guns N' Roses, Rashad? I remember when Terminator 2 Judgment Day came out and then uh, they had the um, uh, You Could Be Mine song from there. And that was I thought that was badass. And then I just remember, you know what? Let me, let me say this. It's not. It's, it's not that... It wasn't, it wasn't a thing that happened overnight or something that there was one moment that just popped up. It's just that I remember around the time I was listening to Aerosmith and stuff like that. I started to get into rock and roll a little bit like that. I hated that. I hated, I hated, I hated the rock and roll where it's like Warrant and like Skid Row and like Motley Crue. I hated that, that hair metal stuff. I liked, I used, I, cause being a, a rap fan and I like, I used to like it, like things like dingy and dirty and more edgy. And more like gully. So when Guns of Roses came across, it felt like they just give a fuck about nothing. They didn't give a shit. They just weren't, un- they were unapologetic. It was almost like, um, they had no, it's it like you could, like you could tell that with the other rock bands, as fun as they were for other people, not for me, but I'm not disrespecting anybody's taste, but you could tell like they were all about, let's have a good time. Kind of like that kind of stuff. And then Axel was basically like, I'll ram your fucking head through a car window. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> I was like, that's what I'm talking about right there. And I kind of like had that, cause like there's two sides of me. They're like the compassionate, like caring side. And then the other side, it's like, I never hurt anybody, but there's like that, just like that, that dark energy. And I tap into it. And the only, the only way I can tap into it is through art. I really don't uh, tap into my dark side into the real world because that's just like, I don't want anybody to get hurt. But at the same time, that, part of me is inside of me and I can only live vicariously through that through either other artists or through my own personal art that kind of puts that out there and it's like it was just like just that energy where it's like he's he doesn't give a shit about what anybody says what he's gonna do now granted I mean we'll we'll get into this as we go through it he's not the most he's and this goes to a bigger discussion about like how we perceive artists and I got my my personal thing on that kind of thing too um but it was just like that it's just the energy you almost seem like superhuman like, there's nothing that could stop him. He didn't give a fuck about anything. It was like, he just not give a fuck. And it's like, there's another artist that we, we did, we did, uh, 
a while back on our podcast that I connect them to. And we'll get to that in a moment. I'll keep that a secret for right now. And um, it's just that, just that energy. And there were certain things, there were certain songs we'll discuss about later that I didn't like at the, at, at the time and I appreciate them later on. But um, it's just basically just the energy of that band. And in particular, like, I'm a big person. I'm a big thing about front men. Because, like, I love that. Because me being an actor and being on stage is like that showmanship. And, like, for, for a while, it was Steven Tyler was my favorite front man. And then, like, as the years went on, and as far as, like, quality-wise and creative-wise, Axel took that thing. Because as I got older, I appreciated his artistry a little bit more. But that's generally what it is. It's just that, like, that fuck you attitude that I love more than anything else. It wasn't any particular thing at the time. It just freaking happened after a while. So that's how it started for me. Okay, for me, it was basically a five-year period where Guns N' Roses were huge on the radio in the UK. So it, it wasn't about album cuts or whatever. I was pretty young back then, but they were a big staple on UK radio for sure, uh, albeit heavily edited versions and stuff. Um, <laughs> so, so, songs like Sweet Child of Mine, Paradise City, um, Live and Let Die, the cover, November Rain, Knocking on Heaven's Door again, another cover. But, you know, these were huge, absolutely massive also, hilariously, um, we went to the Far East when I was a kid in 1990, and they had just countless, like, pirated tapes back then. That's how old I am. It was literally <laughs> cassettes. And uh, and one of them was Guns N' Roses one. I just cannot remember which one it was, because I really thought it was Use Your Illusion, but that was actually before before it came out. So um, it was probably Appetite for Destruction, or God knows what, some some cobbled together <laughs> tie thing. Um but yeah, I used to bump that, so so it was definitely fun. Like after 1992 or so, they didn't exist for me anymore. Uh, other than when I was kind of, I mean, when I started DJing, I'd, I'd frequently play "Sweet Child of Mine," and that's literally it. Um, and then they had a greatest release, uh, greatest hits release around, I think it was around 2004 or so. Um, I know it was quite quite a controversial. Uh, released because the band weren't too happy with it fans weren't too happy with the track listing and all this kind of stuff but it was pretty good I have to say and it, and it got them back in the limelight I think that went straight to number one in the UK as well so um, that kind of, they, they bobbed back up then Chinese Democracy I listened to it a few times didn't really take to it ever I haven't revisited it as of now So um, so I tell you what, why don't you pick out your highlights from Guns N' Roses um, in terms of their albums? What are your favorite albums of theirs? Well, since 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 you said what you said, <laughs> okay, there's two there's, there's 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 two highlights I have. There's two highlights. Um, so let's get the honorable mention out the way because there's basically there's literally like three albums. There's three albums they have. I count usually losing one and two as the same album because they came out at the same time. It's just that it's it's like a it's like a super it's like a double album as far as I'm concerned. So for me, for the, 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 I think the one that for everybody, I'm talking about the one I recommend to people, not the one that's my personal favorite, but the one I recommend if you're listening to this and you're going to Guns N' Roses. And if you have any proclivities, proclivities, any towards rock and roll, I would recommend, um, uh, after destruction, the honorable mention, I would say for me would be, um, use your illusion only because like, as there's great songs, great, great, great songs on both of those albums, but there's also a lot of relative filler. It's not terrible filler. It's like, but it's like there's there's songs that are strong, way stronger than other songs. And then there's actually there's a couple of them where it's like um, 
uh, there's November Rain, of course, which it almost took me like nine years to understand that song because I didn't like that song at first. I remember when MTV used to come on uh, and that song came on, I was like, this song is so fucking long. And I wasn't feeling it. I just, I, I, every time that video would come on, I would just like, just click on my own. Like, so like 10 years after it came out, I finally got over that shit and I listened to it and I, and I realized the genius of it. Um, so when, we'll, we'll get into that. This is the overview, basically. So I would say that's the honorable mention. The one I would recommend to everybody, and which is my number two, is um, Appetite for Destruction because I think that's just like if you want to know what um what one of the standards of American hard rock like like that mangy I don't give a fuck. There's two albums I feel like there's two albums I think that sum up American rock as far as like that mangy I don't give a fuck. I'll fuck anything that moves. <laughs> I'll shoot anything up to my veins. There's Aerosmith rocks, and then there's um, Guns N' Roses. Um, uh, appetite for destruction. A little aside, it's like basically like, cause Aerosmith Rocks is the album that Slash said, um, inspired him to become a rock and roll guy. He was like, that was just the album that he just, he was like, he was so inspired by the album, he didn't even pay attention to the chicks he was dating at the point. He was into that album. So it's like, if you want to get an idea of where Guns N' Roses came from, I would also recommend Aerosmith Rocks. Not like the later stuff that Aerosmith came out with, like Evan on the Edge, but like that album is, that's another one. But I think Appetite for Destruction is, the one I would say recommend for everybody because I think when people go to concerts, that's the that's the Guns N' Roses that they want, and I think that's the one that I recommend. Now, my personal favorite is the one that just only gave two or three spins and like gave it around there, and that's the one where I went from like Axl Rose the front man to I to me feeling like Axl Rose the creative genius, and for me, it's Chinese Democracy. I'll get to that one a little bit later, but that one I I think I played that album more than I played any other Guns N' Roses album. Which is which is crazy because like I played the couple ones many a times, but when I heard that one, and I get why people don't like that one because they expected Guns N' Roses to be a certain way. When I listened to Kind of Democracy, I feel like Use Your Illusion was a warm up to what he was trying to go for, and that and that third one. And I'm not going to try to defend anybody because they don't like it, they don't like it. But to me, I think that's my favorite Axel project by far because I didn't know he had that in him. But that's just my personal one. So I think most people listen to Chinese democracy. What the fuck is this? And like toss it aside. But I think that one aside, not being my favorite, I would say to recommend to people like Appetite for Destruction is a highlight. And then the videos for um, um, Use Your Illusion are just uh, incredible. I like the, the you no, know, after I got over my initial fuck that video because it's too long. November Rain is a great video. Don't cry. Estranged. Um, just a bunch of that stuff right there. And of course you have, uh, Sweet Child of Mine, which is a great video. That's like such an 80s, even though it's like came out like 89, 90, it's like, but it still has that 80s feel with them playing guitar and shit like that. And, uh, the girls in the background chilling. And then there's Patience, which we can get into later. That's a great song. So I want to know what, so what's your highlights for them? Well, I mean, it's interesting how you, you put a caveat with Chinese democracy, but you're not alone. I actually know, I know at least kind of two other Guns N' Roses fans, and they say that, that that's their favorite album. Um, I mean, it could just be because of the passage of time has gifted them with more of the, I don't know, maybe the ability to put a good album together. Um, it's also because things like the Use Your Illusion 1 is 75 minutes long. Use Your Illusion 2 is 75 minutes long. You're talking about these gigantic epics, and it's like, well, there's clearly going to be a lot of fat on these, for sure. Um, th- there are just so many instances of, of double albums by whoever where they just went on a bit too long. That was their pe- peak in a lot of ways, and but sometimes people get a bit carried away with that peak. Um, for me, it's 
definitely appetite for destruction. Um, but also, if I'm being completely honest, I'm more of a greatest hits fan of Guns N' Roses. So, you know, I never got that deep into it, for, personally speaking. Um, what would you... Okay, I tell you what. Why don't you pick out some of your favourite songs from from them over the years that you think... Why don't we do it twofold? Do favourite singles and then do favourite album cuts? Okay, so I start. I can start from Appetite, then Use Your Illusion, and then um, the final one. Okay, so as far as um, singles for um, Appetite Destruction, um, Sweet Child of Mine is number one. I would say uh, Welcome to the Jungle is number two. Um, Paradise City is number three. Um, but those are the ones that, of course, they're going to go because they got those. It's, it's, Sweet Child of Mine is just like a lovely song. Cause I'll get into that later when I get to Tidy's Democracy, why Sweet Child of Mine is a very important song for Tidy's Democracy. But um, but that one is just the one where you where he he shows that I really give a shit. I, I give a shit, Axel, because Axel has two 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 frames of mind. He's that fuck you and fuck everything you stand for. And then he has that that tender side. And Sweet Child of Mine is like that. It's like it's like if you want to know like the because there, there's songs I think that they're more tender on Chinese Democracy than on uh, what's gonna call it on Appetite for Destruction. But I guess for like if I wanted to win somebody over with that one, it's just that it's like an epic song. It's like that the way the song opens up with uh, Slash's guitar and then just like that. That flowy poetry and the way he sings, the use that smile, what it seems to me. It just sounds so like like serene as compared to like Welcome to the Jungle. Where Welcome to the Jungle is like, it's like you just like feel like you're in a sane asylum. Like you just want to climb up a fucking wall and just like start throwing like TVs out the window and taking chainsaws to fucking chairs and shit like that, basically. Whereas this song is like more like genteel, but it still kicks ass at the same time. That kind of deal. And as far as deep cuts of Fright Destruction, I would say, um, all right, so here we go. It's so easy. It's so easy. It's kind of raw, like the one that like turn around and bitch, I got a use. Turn around and bitch, I got a use for you. Besides, I got nothing to do. And I'm bored. Where you just like cars are crashing every night. I drink and drive. Everything's in sight. It's like it's so like it's like so. I don't give a fuck. It's like normally as a human being, like this is not good. <laughs> you it's like you live vicariously through the evilness of what he's saying. It's like that kind of like detached kind of thing, and it's like it's so enjoyable. And then Mr. Brownstone is about like just doing heroin. And it's like I never heard of, and I'm anti drugs, trust me. But I've never heard a song that's about drugs that made me want to like, yeah, it's a fun. Look, I'm mowing more. Like he knows it's bad, but he's keeping going back to it. That's another one. And then uh, Rocket Queen is just an epic ass song. It's like an epic, like six. Six minute and thirteen second, like, and it goes through passages. This is where Axel starts. Axel has this habit where when he does long songs, they go through mo, they go through like movements. It's almost like <sighs> Axel's like influenced by Elton John, and you could t- and when you listen to Chinese Democracy, you could tell he's like, whoa, he's going off the Axel, he's going off the the Queen and um and uh and Elton John deep end. And like this is where Rocket Queen is like kind of giving you that idea of like where he really wants to go with his song composition. It goes from a hard point. It goes like to like a mellow in the middle. It goes back to hard, and it goes back out into like this one, like this, like this genteel kind of respectful, kind of like loving thing at the end. So he goes through all these different rhythms with this Rocket Queen, 
kind of sounds like that. And if you and, it, and you can think of two words put together, I'm not going to ruin this, the meaning of the song for you. But if you hear a song called Rocket and then Queen, you can imagine what the rocket is. <laughs> and you can only imagine what <laughs> the Queen part goes about that one. So uh, what was your what was your standouts for the uh, um, Appetite for Destruction? Oh, I mean, it's all going to be all the singles, basically. <laughs> it's just, it, it, you might as well just count me out of any of the deeper album cuts at this point. Um, because back then I just, just had no idea. I have vague memories of various stuff, if anything. Um, Paradise City was just a, a massive song, and it's just that sing song chorus. Um, Welcome to the Jungle. I actually remember it from a few years back. Some video game used it in their advertising campaign. It was. I don't think it was Grand Theft Auto. I think it was one of these shoot 'em ups like Call of Duty or something, maybe. So that kind of brought it back to my consciousness a lot. And uh, Sweet Child of Mine. I mean, I, I've DJed that track so many times. And, <laughs> I mean, you can still play that to pretty much any audience and they will just get it immediately. It, it is just, it just soars, doesn't it? It's just an incredible song. And and you're right, those musical movements are incredibly obvious. Like, where do we go now? Where do we go? I mean, I, I could just get carried away and do Axl Rose impressions for the rest of this podcast, to be honest. Um, so how about the next one, GNR Lice? Oh yeah. Okay. So, do you want to? Are you, do you want to talk about that one song that he got in trouble for? I have no idea about this album. Just pretend I. Oh, know so okay, 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 okay. So, um, so this album was a hit. I probably just for a hit. So they had to, they had to put out. They wanted to put out something while capitalizing on like the um the wave until they got the new album come. Usually, usually came out. So they put like four new songs and they put like four like liveish songs, kind of in the sense. Um, they had um. But the one song that came out of it was there's a controversial song called um, "One in a Million, which is kind of he, he used kind of like racial slurs, but he's kind of like singing from the point of view of like a like a racist backwoods like kind of guy. But it, the argument goes by like was he really speaking from a character perspective, or was he really being was he actually like spewing his views? And like I, I can't I can't really like go into that. It's up to the the listener to kind of go if he's is he doing a thing where he's doing from a character perspective, or is he really being offensive? And that's Something actor Rose get in trouble with a lot, um, but the main song that was taken away from this one. Oh, also there was a song called Mama Ken, which was originally an Aerosmith song. So I guess Slash, I'm pretty sure Slash has something to do with that one getting on top of there, because basically Guns N' Roses is pretty much considered like. It's, I know people. I don't know if anybody knows Aerosmith now, but people know Aerosmith as like the pop rock guys, considering like their albums were like Living on the Edge and Crazy Crying and Amazing and stuff like that. But back in the day, they were mangy and destructive and, and raw and vicious. But, and then Guns N' Roses was considered like the heir apparent because considering rock and roll, like a lot of the rock and roll, the, the high rock and roll guys were kind of like Led Zeppelin, the Beatles, um, the Who and all stuff like that. People who were like more along the other side of the Atlantic. Like Aerosmith's kind of like the American answer to that. That was even close to being on that level. And then Guns N' Roses were the guys that kind of like took that baton and like just fucking smashed it in your fucking mouth. So you got that kind of situation. So the one song that came out was, um, if you thought Sweet Child of Mine was tender, Jesus Christ, when you hear Patience in that video, and it's just like, that was like the song that was everywhere that summer, the time that came out. And it's just like so tender every time when I look at you, it's still all right to smile. And I guarantee you, if you did that song right now, and you're like, if you, if, you, if you're a guy listening to this, and you want to like it, like if you're like in a mood with your girl, and you want to ride around with her, or if you're like, like sitting in a nice summer breeze, 
like outside somewhere, just put the song right there and it'll, it'll put that girl into the mood, man. I guarantee you. Not even no question. You, you're a patient, right? Yeah. Okay. What do you think of that song? Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely song. I mean, it, it takes up um, on the greatest hits. I think it's like track number three. Yeah, it is. It's track number three on that. So um, it, it's definitely a, a wonderful song. Can I just jump in at this point before we carry on with Use Your Illusion? Um, why do Guns N' Roses do so many covers? It's a really confusing one for me. What do you mean? Because there, there are countless covers of other songs, yeah, like songs from other artists that, that Guns N' Roses do and record and put onto record. And for me, it's always been a bit of a weird one because Axl Rose and Slash and the guys are just so, in many ways, they're so unique, so unconventional, so challenging, yet they do these bizarre covers of stuff. And sometimes, don't get me wrong, it works and it reinvents the track and stuff. Sometimes it's completely unnecessary. And it's like, I don't know, it's, is that just a record label thing or do, do they have that inside them? Is it a paying respect thing or what? I don't know. After Usual Illusion, they came out with this thing called Spaghetti Incidents, which was basically like an album of covers. And basically, that was the one where like they were already on the outs. Because like around the time of like Usual Illusion, that the blame was already fracturing. Because I think when Usual Illusion came out, I think it was Izzy Stradlin, which was the rhythm guitarist. He was on his way out anyway. He was done with Axel's nonsense. And he's getting out there. Because I know when Usual Illusion came out, the story goes that Axel was getting more and more ambitious. He wanted to get away from the um from the um from straight ahead rock and roll. He wanted to be more ambitious. When you hear Use Your Illusion, you'll get to that part right there. And I guess at the point of the gate incident, it was like Axel was working on Chinese democracy for like a long time. There was a running joke where people thought Chinese democracy was never gonna come out because Axel was too busy tinkering with it. But um so people wanted so it was kind of like a weird thing. The record company wanted the old kinds of roses where like after destruction and a band kind of wanted to stick with that one. But Axel wanted to go more like the Queen Elton John route because there was a point where after Rose was, was listening to, um, uh, Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor and he wanted to go that route. Axel wanted to, wanted to get beyond it. Cause if you watch certain clips on YouTube during Usual Illusion, Axel was getting tired of the, um, of, of, of the, the, the dirty, I mean, even though in his life it's a different story, like his life is fucked up, but that's the life. But as far as musical wise, like he wanted to get past the, um, the rock, the, the, the hard edge. I don't give a fuck rock and roll guy. He wanted to be more ambitious. He wanted to be like a Freddie Mercury or, or Elton John. So, um, so I guess when you're talking about the covers, I think mainly you're talking about, um, the spaghetti incident because that one is basically like an album full of covers. And then basically what happened was that was like an album just to get out the contract. They could move on. So that's where you hear all those covers from. Now, don't get me wrong. Like on, um, on Use Your Illusion, I think there may be like a, a so you got Live and Let Die. Knocking on Heaven's Door. Yeah, Knocking on Heaven's Door. And you have... Um, yeah, and then, and then you've also got GNR, Li- uh, GNR Lies, which is half of that are covers. Um, yeah, that was, that, that was like that, something to throw together. It's quite a lot. They've, they've really committed a lot of covers. It's, it just strikes me as a bizarre strategy from them or the label. I don't know. I mean, is that commonplace in American rock or what? No, no, it's not. But no. the thing is, Axel's a per- the thing is, Axel's a perfectionist. Axel, when Axel's ready, he's ready. That's pretty much what it is. And meanwhile, they meanwhile you got the uh, uh, Geffen trying to capitalize on the shit. Like you got the because it was funny because I was reading Aerosmith's autobiography and they were opening for Aerosmith and Joe Perry from Aerosmith, the the lead guitarist Aerosmith. He was like, that was the first time I ever seen that people were Aerosmith Guns N' Roses was so big. That they outshone people were there for the opening act rather than the, the the closing act. 
than, than the main act. It's like, that's how big they were. So when that Appetite Destruction thing came out, Axel was already, because Appetite came out in 87, and um, Usual Illusion didn't come out until 1991. So, and then, um, uh, Page, and then uh, GNR Lies came out in 88. So from 88 to 91, so from 1987 to 1991, Axel was doing this shit, and they were doing their own shit. And basically, they were like, "We got to put something out to capitalize on this." And then patience was like a smash, so they threw that on. I think, they, I think either I, I'm trying to see if historically, patience came out and then they slapped it on there because they had to do something out like there. And then they, basically, that's what that was. Because normally, what you would do is with rock and roll bands is like back in the old days, Aerosmith, Aerosmith in the back in the old days, they would have an album come out. They would have it was like in the '70s, they would have an album come out every year, like clockwork. They would go in the studio, put out it was like eight, like eight or nine songs. Go in the studio, bring out more, bring out more. And then around like the 80s with Axel and them, like it was like they would do an, a rock band would do an album like every other year. But Guns N' Roses is basically different because they would do it when they're done, they're done. And I guess the, the, the record company wanted to capitalize on anywhere they could. So I guess they went that route. So if that means, if that's what it seems like a lot, but most of the time they wouldn't do that. You, I mean, I guess you could have some bands would do like covers sometimes, but not like that. I agree with you on that one. But it was just that Axel was basically like doing his own fucking thing. If you consider the time from, because you gotta remember, Use Your Illusion came out in 1991, and then Chinese Democracy didn't come out until 2008. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you got you got that situation going on right there. Yeah, it's kind of like Dr. Dre detox thing, wasn't it? Those are the two big running jokes forever. Um, yeah, yeah, they just never came out. Okay, speaking of Use Your Illusion, should we move on to that then? Yeah. First of all, which one? Disc one or disc two? <sighs> you you have to choose. You cannot sit on the fence. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I can do that. It's tough. Let me ask you, can you choose? <laughs> uh, yeah, I would choose disc two. Okay, and why would you choose this too? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> no. Um, actually, do you know what? I would choose disc one. I think disc one for me was more immediate for me at that time because okay. I, I, I was pretty young. Um, so, I don't know. Disc two... Disc two actually sold more, didn't it? Yeah, because, yeah, it has... Well, you know, I don't... Let me see, hold on, let me look it up. But I think I think that was because of knocking on heaven's door. Because you got to look at it. Because you have because the first disc has the 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 biggest ones. It has it has Never Let Die. It has um and that was a hit. Yeah, November Rain. You have um. Don't cry. The original version. Like most of the singles came from that one. Then you had maybe you had like Yesterday's Knocking on Heaven's Door, um and um Estranged. You could be mine on the second one. And then you had their Don't Cry remix, kind of in a sense. You know, I would say, you know what I'd say, Disc 2. Because if, if you put Coma on Disc 2, then I would say Disc 2 easily. But it's hard taking off Coma. Coma is the shit. It's hard for me to take that one off. It's hard for me to take. It's hard for me to, to, to live my life without Coma if you force me. But if you put a gun to my head, I can't leave Coma. I would, then I would, argue, I would arguably say Civil War. I would say this. The, uh, the second part, because I think the songwriting in uh, the second one is a little more ambitious. The first one is more like relative straight ahead rock. 
And then the second one goes off in like these weird detours, in a sense. So if you're forcing me to do it, if if coma if only if only coma was on that second part, I would put it on there. But yeah, I would probably go for the second half. Okay. Um yeah, I mean songs like November Rain were huge. Uh do you know what it's funny actually the the cover of Living Let Die was actually massive in the UK. Um God, there was just so much from this. It's just amazing, isn't it, how much they put into this? Like, what, 150 minutes of this? Just incredible. Um, what are your personal highlights then? So, what, you're going to say Coma? Coma is number one. Jesus Christ. I might play that when I get out of here. I'm about to go jogging after this. So, I know it's what I'm playing first. So, yeah. Okay, so Coma. I was running through my favorite ones just to get out the way. All right, so I'm looking at it. Live and Let Die. I love that. Don't Cry. I love that. Perfect Crime, uh, later on in my life, November Rain, Garden of Eden, I love that one, Bad Apples and Dead Horse and Coma, Civil War, Yesterdays, Get in the Ring, um, Locomotive, Estranged, and uh, You Can Be Mine. That's my, the, the ones I love that most. I think if that was the album, I would be happy. I could die happy, man pretty much but that's just my favorite okay so another hard question would mm-hmm. you happily combine these into one disc yes the ones i talked about i completely give me that disc i'd be happy so do you just think there's a lot of fat here that could have been trimmed or or do you yeah, think like, it's like okay said, song- it's okay that they kind of delivered this as their artistic expression and, and live with it or what like i'm fine with the album i'm fine with the album i'm fine with two albums the way they are like I said, if you wanted me to like, if, if if I wouldn't, I wouldn't. If you gave me the album that they got right here, then yes. But here's the thing with me and Axel. Like I don't, Axel could do whatever he wants, whether it's whether it's good or bad. I I just want him to be creative and do what he wants to do and see where it falls, where it makes. That's the kind of Axel fan I am. Now, is everything that he does on fire? No, 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 no. But when he hits it, like he does certain things, like especially with, with Chinese democracy, he he does things and puts sounds together and does arrangements that nobody else. Especially with China, for me, Chinese Democracy, I've never seen anybody do arrangements like that. And I haven't seen anybody do arrangements like he did on that album since, for me personally. So for me, I'd rather have a messy axle than a perfect axle. So I wouldn't, I, I'm happy that the album came, the album came out the way it was. Cause it gave, the album that came after it, they gave me what I wanted pretty much. But, um, but if it, I think if it were, I mean, guess it was still successful regardless. So, I really can't say that it would sell more if they got them songs right there. It's sold regardless. So <laughs> there's that. But there are some songs that are like, okay. Like I'm saying, like, you, like they're good, but compared to the highs, they're not even touching those highs. Like, I don't think any songs are that, that are okay on Use Your Illusion can even touch November Rain or Coma or Live and Let Die or stuff like that. But then there's like Deep Cuts, like Civil War, which is fantastic. Um, locomotive. When I feel like, uh, I, I I to tell people like, if you have a chance to just lay down and listen, just just get these lyrics on locomotive and just read them and just listen to them. And I he captures that that push and pull between male men and women in relationships so well. It's insane. It's like I I. I I love those lyrics. I like I never felt I never listened to a song that just felt like it captured that insane the insanity, the insane chemistry between men and women when they're actually in love with each other 
and the fucked upness and the positive and the negatives. And it's all into that song. And it's so epic. And the song is like fucking eight minutes and 42 seconds. So I'm like, God damn. It's like that. Like I just love his epic songs. Like I used to hate them when I was younger. But the more like coma is like 10 minutes and 15 seconds. Um, November Rain is eight minutes and 57. You have um, Estranged is nine minutes and 42. Nine minutes and 24 seconds. It's like, they're so damn epic. It's ridiculous. So I just love him when he goes off on epic tangents. I love that shit. Some of my favorite stuff that he ever did is on that stuff. All right, then. But getting to your actual favorite is <clears throat> Chinese democracy. So why is this yeah. your favorite? I remember when it came. I remember when it came out. I, I went to Best Buy to go get it, and I was like, and I, and I know people made jokes, oh, blah 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 blah. And I just remember I was like, okay, let me just go out there and drive and get there. I love, I love. Actually, see what he does. And then I sat there and I sat there and I listened to it. And at first time I listened to it, I was like, what the fuck did I listen to? And I was like, okay, so what I did was this. So basically, it was weird because it was like a, like a chilly summer night. Open the like open the windows up, let the cool breeze in there. I just laid down in the back of my bed. I just turned, I just turned it up, and I listened to it, and I just remember. To, to me, the biggest thing for Chinese democracy, and I get why people don't like it and whatever like that. To me, the big thing that I got from Chinese democracy was, it was like he. It's like he took, he took. I'll say this. He. It's like he took Ch- Sweet Child of Mine. He took Rocket Queen. He took November Rain. He took Coma. He took Locomotive. He took a strange and he took every influence that came in between that time and he put it onto one album. And I'm like, and it's just like the, for me, the lyrics, I feel that I mean, I, I'm going to, I can go deep, deeper detail later. I'm just giving you a general thing. Like that. It's like, there's just so many sounds. Like we talked about this before. I, I, I feel like, okay, I'll say, I'll say it like this. If, if you guys listen to an earlier um, podcast we had with Lance Morissette and my favorite Lance Morissette album was, Suppose was a former infatuated junkie. I feel like, like this was a sequel to that album that I didn't get from Lance Morissette. I feel like that album is the sister and this album is the brother. It's like there's there's a certain thing that they both went for. It's like the stream of consciousness. It's like these very disparate sounds put into it. And it's like the cohesiveness is is in its. It's like a journey almost. It's like so many different sounds. But it's all brought together by this one mind and this, and this this stream of consciousness. It's basically like spoken word put together to like these disparate sounds and they're pulled together. And it's almost like this beautiful insanity that they both have. And I think it's and for most people, when I talk to people about trans democracy, it's like it's just too much. It's like it's too much on there. It's like blah blah blah. And then like for me, like when I'm into it, it's like I always find something new with every song. And there's a certain there's certain songs like there was a time. It's like they're just so fucking epic. And it's like and it's also like the hip hop thing in there. You can tell you listen to a lot of hip hop because there's a lot of like break beats in certain parts. Like there's some there's certain parts in certain songs where it's like there was a time where it's like there's a part where it's like the guitar the guitar solo and you hear like this like like these break beats and you hear like this trip hop and you like hear like the song. It was like I, I don't know if you guys know uh do you ever heard of this critic called uh Chuck Cloisterman? No. Okay. So he did this review on I'll see I'll probably send it to you at some point. He did a review on um at the AV club on Chinese democracy. And he gave, and he was like, basically he broke down like 
if the world was basically like a rock and roll song that was influenced by a fucking James Bond opening theme song credit, I was like, it sounds just like that shit. It sounds like a, the fucking greatest, rockiest James Bond opening credit theme song shit that I ever heard. And it's like, he just, it's like, in the lyrics, it's like, what do you say on a one song prostitute? And at the end of it, he pretty, he pretty much like, like gets on people about like how they shit on this process and like that. And he goes, why should I please, the, like, why do you ask me to please those laugh in my face? And like, there's so many lines in there that are like that, that as you go through it, it kind of like goes there. And it's basically like his journey, like what he's thinking in Madagascar, where he has like that Martin Luther King sample going in the middle. And it sounds like, it's like that, like if you have to stay true to your muse, like basically for me as an artist, like this is like one of the greatest stay true to your muse, regardless of what other people say about you albums I ever heard because like it's like I'm going to stick to my muse and this is what I'm going to get inside of me and go out there and, and if you could, you could take it as you take it and you don't as you don't and like you said like you were talking about before with your friends it's like either you really go on board with it or you never want to hear shit ever again in your life and like there's no I've never heard anybody that said I talked to people about Chinese democracy I've never heard people say it was okay I will say this my friend he didn't like it at first he's a Guns N' Roses fan and then after after a while he liked it and, he, and I was like and, I, and he's like Axel's a great songwriter he's like he's like he's like the problem he said the problem with Chinese democracy was this he should have just called it an actual Rose project he said people might have been more receptive he's like but the problem was the Guns N' Roses tag carries so much weight and there's there's such an image of Guns N' Roses that if people didn't get that sound then it was gonna fail regardless and he said when I first heard it I wasn't feeling it at all. And he was like, once I subtract, once I got away from that, because he's like, because my friend made a point. He was like, if you listen to Slash's output from Guns N' Roses up to that point right there, like Slash does like Guns N' Roses shit, but it's Guns N' Roses light. But it's, it's really not like taking any adventurous like detour. He kind of stays within that lane. Even when he was with Velvet Revolver, it still kind of stayed within that lane. Except with like Scott Wallen doing vocals, but it was still like that straight ahead rock and roll. Whereas if you listen to Chinese Democracy, it's like Axel's like taking all different kinds of things. When you talk about Trent Reznor, you hear like fucking like bzz, you hear like these bzz sounds. It's like it's it's like he listens to all the Now for most people, I, I get like it's gonna be too fucking much. Like this is too much. I can't take it. It's truck it. I get I get that. But if you're but if you're willing to give it that fair chance and like throw out your expectations of Guns N' Roses, I would also say I'm almost saying to sell to sell Chinese democracy. I would say. I would almost recommend you get lyrics and just give it a fair shot on the afternoon and just read those lyrics and listen to it and you'll be a lot more you'll you'll get a lot more. But I think what happened was it was the hype of like like it was it didn't come out for years and then they put it out and like everybody expected it like it's gotta be the greatest thing ever, which I have to make an argument about this. If people understood the creative process, sometimes people don't understand the creative process. Sometimes there are songs that some artists have that they don't work they work on for years and years and years. And then, then it comes out and then it, then they put it out there. And that doesn't mean it's overproduced. It just means like it wasn't that time for that song to come out there. Or maybe that, maybe that song was still gestating and they didn't have the experience, the life experiences to make that song work like it did. So it doesn't make a difference how long time takes for somebody to make an album, something like that. At the end of the day, does it work for you or it doesn't work for you? There's no time limit on creativity. Like, like for example, like fucking, um, Harper Lee wrote To Kill the Mockingbird. That's the only book he really wrote. And she retired off of that. She never wrote another book again. Is did she have? Could she have more in her? Maybe. But if that's the only thing she had inside of her, then that's what it is. Some artists have one thing in them. Some artists have a range of things in them. Some artists they take fucking years and years and years to get shit done, and that's how it is. 
So I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to try to sell people on this album. I can give examples. I can give examples about why I love it and go into certain songs and how I feel about them. But I wouldn't blame anybody for not being it because it's a lot of shit. It's a lot of shit to unpack. It really is. So I wouldn't blame somebody to walk away from it. Well, I mean, the way that you've talked about Axl Rose there leads perfectly onto my next question. Um, I mean, who is Axl Rose? What does he mean to you? What do you think he means to um, rock music in general or even music in general? And and what, uh, presuming you love this guy, why do you love him so much? What's so special? Because he, like, there's, 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 Eminem was like this for a while, but even he kind of like gave in to the, not, I don't want to say give him to the system, but the difference, okay, Eminem and Axl Rose are kinder spirits. They don't give a fuck about that. But the difference between Axl Rose and Eminem is Eminem will, will compromise, will compromise his, his, his art sometimes just to make sure the, the album sells. Whereas Axl is almost like, I don't give a fuck about what anybody thinks. I'm going to put my heart and soul into it. He gives a shit about his creative output. He like did the covers out the picture. That's just the other shit like that. But when it comes to him writing songs, like he gives a shit about it, and I respect that more than anything else. It's like he actually. So when I I'll give you example, when you hear Chinese democracy, like people say, well, it's not, well, it's not this and not that. I'm like, but he followed his muse to the to the thing. Like he could have gave you another appetite for destruction. He could easily do that stuff right there, but he doesn't do that. And like it's and and, and I remember somebody saying. Like an Axel Rose wouldn't exist right now in this in this culture because Axel had no problem saying what he wanted whatsoever. Like there's nothing Axel really back backed up on or really like that. He's like straightforward. If he didn't like you, he'll tell you. <laughs> he doesn't like you. But at the core of it is like you could tell like he's hurt. Like I remember like I give you an example. Like if you go if you ever go on um YouTube, watch some of his um his his um his rants on um at a concert. He would literally tell kids to think for themselves. He would literally tell these kids, like, don't follow me, don't follow none of us, blah, blah, blah like that. It's like, just be who you are. Like, am I fucked up? He was like, we, he, he talked about something. He was talking about basically um, how um, families try to suppress the bullshit in their family for the sake of making things look good. He was like, if there's shit in your life that's fucked up and your family tries to suppress that shit, you need to deal with that shit at that point right there. Otherwise, it's going to come back and react to you another way. And there's stuff like that that he talks about. And like, he understands, like, he doesn't make apologies for who he is as a fucked up individual, but at the same time, he's aware enough to tell you that if I fuck up, that's no excuse for you to fuck up, basically. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not going to sit there and be a goody two-shoes, but at the same time, he'll sit there and tell you, like, don't follow us. Don't do that rock and Like, don't fall for that rock and roll shit. And even when you your illusions one and two, he started getting out of it. Like, he was like, I wish I could almost play a clip from that on here or whatever like that. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll put some posts up on there on the um, actual Twitter account. This will put up some certain, like, like, uh, um, clips from uh, him talking about certain things but it's just like I respect artists that stay true to their muse in the face of following trends or what seems good and what looks good because the danger that happens right now and especially happens right now in this culture is that sometimes the music you sometimes great art when you put it at this time People don't appreciate that shit. If you go through literature history, a lot of the great works of art weren't really appreciated at the time. It's only with perspective and time that you look back on it and you see what that person's really going for. And at this point right now, and sometimes what hurts right now is, is that 
you have it's like everybody's so constricted. And like I said, I'm pro I'm, I'm pro politically correct. I'm not anti political correctness. I'm just saying sometimes people take it to a degree where it's like fucking ridiculous. Sometimes you have to have a discussion that you have to have certain terminology to go into it. But if you're trying to if you're trying to police every fucking thing somebody says and they're trying to learn, then how do you able to talk about certain things like that? Sometimes you have the terminology that the average Joe, they're not stupid, but they're not up on those terms. They're not up on that. Sometimes you have to have raw conversation to go through certain things to talk about that. And it goes back to that prostitute line. Why should I please those that laugh in my face? Why would I have a discussion with somebody who already dismissed me because they had a certain preconception, preconceived notion about me? And you and you expected me to appease them. Why would you want me to do that? And that was the main thing for Chinese democracy, like that freedom from that, the freedom from that bullshit that people try to tie you down. And that's the title of it. That 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 freedom of being like. And he's not saying like he's he's under like that communist oppression. He's just saying like that's the relative like that freedom of being like stifled by other people telling you who you should be, or because you had an image of me a long time ago. That's how I should always be. Because I remember hearing this album, I'm like, he's going off in it. And like, this one song called This I Love. And it sounds as Queen and Elton John as you can get. And my friend was like, is this a fucking Guns N' Roses song? I was like, no, it's badass, but no. And it's like, it's, just, it's like, it's like, it's so, it's like, if you can imagine the, the, imagine the tenderness from a uh, sweet child of mine, like, this is it just like, take it to like, the, the, the nth level. So basically, like, and like I said, you wouldn't expect a guy who's saying, welcome to the jungle and turn around and bitch, I got to use for you. To talk about the stuff that he talks about on this I love and stuff like that. It's just crazy. It's like he's just adventurous and he's refusing to stick to that. And I'm pretty and they're touring right now, and I'm pretty sure they did they're gonna do another album. And I'm pretty sure that whatever album they're coming out with right now is not gonna sound like they did before. He does not he doesn't want to repeat himself. And I respect somebody who does that. But I think the bigger picture is is that Axel Rose is one of it's like cause front men cause cause rock and roll front men aren't and aren't in right now rock and roll isn't really in right now but axel rose is one of those those figures where if you want to talk about who encapsulates that rock and roll spirit like he's one of them guys where if you take you can take any picture of him in his prime and you can see that and you already you can tell what rock and roll is right there the iconography that he has from the videos and just certain pictures it's like him it's like you got like led zeppelin and rolling stone and stuff like that aerosmith stuff like that those guys are like icons that you see that and guns of roses and like slash and and not that those slash under the bus, because slash is great too. But you look at that image of Guns of Roses, you already know. If you take any picture of Guns of Roses, especially in their prime, and you put them in a picture, you could tell exactly what the fuck they're about. Right there. As like one of the gold standards. Where you talk about like um like you talk about hip hop, you talk about like run DMC, um, you talk about like Nas, you talk about big you like the, the gold the, the standards that everybody like like you say if you if you if you somebody's lay out what, what rock what hip hop was to you. You would put that Tupac and stuff like that, Eminem, Jay-Z. You put those guys right there and you look at them, you look at them in their prime. You know what hip-hop is. You know what that's about. Guns N' Roses is one of them bands that are like that. And Axl Rose is one of them guys like that. And Axl Rose even more so that he stuck to his integrity even when everybody else wanted him to fit him in that box. That's why I love Axl the way he is. That's how I feel about it anyway. Okay, my next question is about Slash. So what are your memories of, of Slash and where do you think he kind of ranks within the group structure or outside of it? Because obviously he's made many other forays into other artists' music and even, well, I guess, his own band as well as his own project. Yeah. It's weird because here's the thing. Um, me and my friend talked about this. Slash is one of the greatest guitarists ever, that kind of thing like that. But I think Slash and Axel were meant to be together. Like It's like, it's like a yin and a yang thing. Like They bounce each other out. 
like um taking Chinese democracy out the picture that's I would argue that if we make an argument that's a, that's the Axl Rose album then I could I, I'll I'll qualify that with that we talking about what as far as Guns of Roses it's just that Slash just has that and my friend loves Slash that's his favorite guitarist um Slash is just like he has that coolness and like you can't and, and the way he plays the guitar is like you just can't re, it's like it's like he's synonymous with that 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 tone of Guns N' Roses. Whereas actually it was like the the Elton John kind of like that that Freddie Mercury. Like he's more along the lines of like that that he's a Robert he's like the um not Robert Plant Jimmy Page. He's more like like the Jimmy Page Keith Richards. He's kind of like that cool ass badass kind of guy. Like you want to hang out with him that kind of thing like that. And the fact that he's like half black half Jewish that kind of thing like that. Like it's, it's incredible. Like one of the greatest rock and roll guys of all time in the it, it, it's kind of it's almost like a weird like like considering how the, the roots of rock and roll were, were rooted in black black culture and kind of like to turn around and have like one of the greatest rock and roll icons ever kind of like be black and take it back in a sense that's also cool too that you that you kind of see that kind of thing but it's just the fact that you can't qual you can't really qualify a slash slash is just slash you know what I'm saying it's like you can't really intellectualize slash does that make sense it's like slash basically it's like basically Slash is like a thing into itself. Like for example, the Don't Cry video where he's where he's. I'll give you an example of Slash. Where basically, like, there's two videos I would go to for. Um, where and Don't Cry, he's he's driving with the chick. He's driving with a girl, and a girl's like bitching at him, yelling at him, yeah, 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 yeah. And Slash is like, you know, fuck it, I just drive off the cliff with you and me and. The thing. So they drive off the cliff and they crash to a fu- and the car blows up and then the camera goes back up. And you see Slash playing his guitar. And then he fucking throws a guitar over the cliff at the same time. Like, this badass. And then in uh, November Rain, where they're all at the, the wedding party, whatever, like that, and Slash, like, kicks out and he walks outside and he starts playing the guitar. And, like, it looks, it's like, this, it's like just so badass. It's like, it's, it's such a simple image, but it's just like that charisma just oozes off of Slash. It's like, there's a charisma that can't be quantified. It's basically, it's basically like, is he like the most technical, te- technical guitarist of all time? No. But, the, the the gift with Slash is like he just has that charisma, and when Axel and him put together, it's like you got those great the 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 two, the, the, the front the, you got the front man on the guitars, you got your your Keith Richards and your Mick Jagger, you got your Jimmy Page, your Robert Plant, you got your Aaron, you got your um, Stephen Tyler, Joe Perry, you got your um, in the Who, you got Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey. It's like just those. That thing. I mean, maybe you can clarify a little bit more, but I just I don't think there's an intellectual explanation of Slash. It's just basically like it's just his is his iconography and just the way he comes across. He's just that charisma that he brings to to rock and roll. Where it's like when you see Slash's stance, you know it's Slash. That top hat, the 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 shades, it's just like that for me. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I can intellectualize Slash. I could do Axel. I think for me, Slash is there to be enjoyed, not thought about, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just just let him kind of wash over you. If you enjoy it, enjoy it, you know. Um, he's also born, I think he was born where my son was born, actually, bizarrely enough, in the same hospital. Really weird. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think so. Um, okay, final point before we wrap things up. So they are currently on tour right now. Have you yes. seen Guns N' Roses in concert? Not yet. My friend saw it. He said, my friend saw it and one of my coworkers saw it. And it was like they still they're still killing. I watched a couple of clips on YouTube. Axel still has it. So why haven't you gone then? I mean, they're literally touring America right now, right? I'd rather. I'll say this. 
I'd rather wait until they bring out new material than I would go see them. When it, that's what I'm waiting for right there. Like I've heard all the stuff they already got. So for me, I'm, it's like, it's not a necessity to go see them live right now. To me, if they, if they put me out a new album, then I'd be more excited about that at this point. Like to me, I'll, I'll say this. Let me qualify it with this. As much as I love them, it's just going to sound, it's going to sound weird, but I, I, I wished I seen them in their prime instead. Like I'm not as excited to see them now as I've, I rather would have seen them in their prime. That's just, it's just, it's going to sound weird, but that's how it is for me. Yeah, but I mean, uh, that's never going to happen, is it? Wouldn't you kind of like, I mean, uh, first of all, here are the two problems with your premise. You're waiting for an al- a new album from them, which could come conceivably in the year 2050 or something. Hey, that's no problem. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and the second is that they're here, they're now, they're still killing it. They're only going to get older. I mean, they're what, kind of like, I guess, early 50s now, maybe? Yeah. Um, You, you might as well see them uh, <sighs> Before they get really too old. I get it. Yeah, I get it. But I don't, I'm just not inspired to do it. Like either I'm inspired or I'm not. Yeah. I'm just not inspired to do it at this point. It's just strange because, you know, you talk about Axl Rose with such love and you have done on these podcasts like over the years, uh, over the past kind of year. And um, yeah, it's just, it's just strange. Like, I mean, for me personally, I don't, I don't think I would go, but um, there are certain artists who are just greatest hit artists for me who I think, yeah, I'd really love to, you know, that I haven't seen before. So, yeah, it's just, just a funny one. I just thought I'd throw that in at the end. Gotcha. Have you got any closing thoughts on Guns N' Roses? Not really. I think I said everything pretty much. I took up pretty much damn half <laughs> of the damn podcast. Yeah, you did. Jesus. No, you did, but that, that was all right. I think it worked that way. You're, you're super passionate about them. So, you know, I mm-hmm. think it works better that way. No, I, I, would say, I would say this. I would just say, like, even though I know Rock and Roll is not in right now, I would also I would say to the viewers if they are considering giving it a shot. I mean, just like if you got a Spotify account, just put them on, just put a playlist on, hit shuffle, and just like give them a night and just listen to it, give it a fair shot. And then if they're for you, they're for you. If they're not, they're not. Like I said, tastes come around. And here's the thing: things are always circular. I mean, who's just who's who's to say that rock and roll won't come back in like the next ten or fifteen years or even five years? These things do go around in circles. So who knows? I remember, I remember Shirley Manson. I followed Shirley Manson on, um, on Twitter. And she was like, she was like, she was like, the, the next Kurt Cobain, the next Nirvana is coming around the corner. Not so much rock and roll, but there's like, it's like we're due for somebody to shake shit up. Whether it's from hip hop or whether it's from EDM or whether it's from rock and roll. She was like, we're almost due for that person to, sh- to, sh- to, to shift things up because things are getting stale right now. So who knows where it's going to come from? Wise words indeed. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, um, that's pretty much it from us. So uh, please don't forget to follow us on social media. Twitter, it's T underscores Rebel. No, T underscore Rebels. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Facebook, it's Transatlantic Rebels Podcast. So don't forget to hit us up if you've got any suggestions, comments, anything like that, or um, even who you'd like to see us cover in the future. All right, so that's all from us this week, and catch you next time. Peace. Peace.